ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Is it time to talk openly about inheritance and should it be expected that an individual's life wealth, no matter how small or great, should be passed on as inheritance? Or should it be used for aged care and a comfortable life as you age? Tom Simonson, who's the CEO of Aged and Community Care Providers Association, said this on Mornings last week. The average person, when they pass away, has 90% of the wealth they had at the time. And a lot of that, yes, will be in the family home, but a significant proportion now for the first generation in history will be in superannuation. And you've received tax benefits over many years to save your super, and the majority of it is still handed on to children through inheritance, which, by the way, I have no problem with. But it isn't being used by people to have a better uh, life in their last three to three to five years in aged care. And, and I think most people in the community would say, I'd rather my parents had a better ageing than that I got everything in inheritance. A very controversial topic, again, not something we've talked about for a long time for fear of the, you know, being shot down in flames. But I don't think we've got that luxury anymore. So today, let's have that uncomfortable conversation. Is there a reliance, an expectation on parents' wealth? Maybe that's the family home. And does that need to change? Good morning. I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today. Kirsten Dipro is joining you from ABC Warnable. Kirsten, we'll be speaking to Tom Simonson in just a moment. But he's right in that it's an uncomfortable conversation talking about inheritance. No one wants to talk about it. But I'm just wondering whether or not our expectations on a parent's wealth, if they have it, has that changed? And is there more of a sense of an entitlement to it? Hi, Rochelle. Look, I don't know if there is more of a sense of an entitlement, but I think we can't ignore the cost of living pressures. You know, it's front and centre of everything at the moment. We know a lot of younger people feel like they're completely locked out of the housing market. And Things are changing. And and as Tom mentioned, you know, that money is, yes, held in the family home, but also in superannuation. I was surprised, though, Rochelle, to hear that 90% still gets passed Mm. on. That, to me, is the big kicker. Well, but, yeah, 90% of people still have that money when, when they pass away. That's right. And I wonder whether because of the cost of living, because of the cost of housing, and because there is a narrative that is being pushed by a lot of the times by people in government and in power to say, you know, terms like the bank of mum and dad, for example, this expectation that parents' wealth that they have slowly and some will be great and some will be small but that they have built over a lifetime that that won't be used later in their life to lead a comfortable life to retire that it will be passed down in order for their children to get ahead and of course parents want the best for their kids I just wonder whether we're living in a time now where that's coming at a sacrifice to the individuals who have worked their entire life. So do we need to start to talk about it a little bit more? Do we need to start to have those uncomfortable conversations around who has the right to this money or why is the family home being held on to when it could be used as a way to lead a more comfortable life in your later years? Would you rather see your parents have a better ageing than receiving everything in inheritance? And do you think the expectation around inheritance needs to change? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipro is joining you from ABC Warnable. Already a text on this that says, yes, absolutely. The entitlement of some people. I was so confronted to hear that a peer almost demand $40,000 from their parents only because the parents had helped with a house deposit for other siblings. Perhaps this is just how the other half live. And that's a really interesting point too. Inheritance is a privilege. I mean, that's a privileged conversation. I know when my mum died, there was really no, there was a tiny, tiny amount of inheritance that was a minuscule amount that she had in a superannuation because she worked in hospitality. And guess what? You don't get paid super. That's not really a a done thing a lot of the time in hospo. But there was no family home. You know, their Mm. inheritance is a relatively privileged conversation, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, it's not for everyone, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, there's studies that have been done about that transfer of wealth and what it means for society. Um, and, and, you know, does it really mean that you hold that generational wealth within the family and the effects that that can have on Australian society? Because we've had this kind of interesting thing that's happened in the past few decades. So previous generations didn't retire with any super, for one. And we've had these huge increases in the the price of of houses. So suddenly, you know, I think um, generations in the past have been complaining about boomers owning all the wealth. And now we're talking about, okay, they're going to be handing it on to the next generation. So who is that going to be? And what effect is that going to have on society? Lucy's call from Geelong. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. How are you going? Well, it's a tricky conversation, Lucy, isn't it? It is tricky. Um, I'm a younger person who cared for both my parents. They both um, died in their early 70s. And I would give all of my money, all of their money in the world, to ensure that they had the necessary care. Um, the care's not available, though. The system isn't working. Um, yeah, and the care's just not there. So inheritance or not, I think that it's really difficult to find the necessary support for people to either A, stay at home, or B, be supported in a care environment. Sort of shows how broken the system is across the board, isn't it? There's a text here that says most people want to die in their own home. That's from Susan in Kensington. And it's uh, it's not as simple as that, Lucy, is it? You need the support and you need... You need the, the support? Yep. Yep, yep. And I think all the stats say that 5% of people actually get to die at home. Um, it's just it's just broken, Um uh, yeah, anyway, it's just broken. <laughs> Lucy, good to hear from you. Thank you. Before we speak to Tom Simonson, who was the one that sparked this conversation, Louise is in Ferntree Gully. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're on air. Yes. What, what did you good, want to say? Good. Yes, I heard that gentleman speaking last week and I became quite incensed with some of, I think it was that gentleman, some of the things that he said. Um, I'm sure that... Uh, somebody who was on, and I think it was him, said that those that can afford should be paying more for um, retirement you know, places in retirement villages and um, and so on. Um, and there, are, you know, there are people in different situations that must be considered. I have uh, an adult son with special needs, and I, we absolutely have to leave um, money for him to be able to live a reasonable life after we've gone so you know saying that people who have means should be um you know expected to, to pay more is um is an inappropriate statement in my opinion we'll put that to tom who's on in just a moment to see whether or not it was him i i, I can't be sure of that louise but you're right in that everyone's circumstances are different and as we said right at the beginning kirsten Parents want the best for their children and want to ensure that they don't struggle and that they have everything that they need to be safe and happy and healthy, mm. Louise. And that will depend, depending on your child, won't it? That's right. And we're not the only generation, actually. I mean, we did receive inheritance from our parents as well, and that doesn't seem to have been mentioned. And this text message, I like this one. Uh, I live off the earnings from my super and shares. Of course, I want my children to inherit the capital. The government would only waste it. I think that's a, a sentiment most people are thinking. They go, well, you know, I'd rather that than it, you know, suddenly be taken up by the government. Uh, so let's speak to Tom Simonson now, uh, CEO of Age and Community Care Providers Association. Tom, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. I suppose we should start with that clarification. Um, is that what you said or, or what you meant um, when you were on the radio the other week? Well, I suppose I should start by saying I'm very sorry to incense anybody. Um, I suspect it probably was me because I'm one of many people who have been saying exactly that. With the proviso that, of course, people should be protected where they either can't afford to pay or they have other um, responsibilities and things that they have to have to deal with. But at the moment, we've got people on average paying a very small proportion of the assets and wealth that they have whilst they're alive into aged care. And, and let's not forget the other side of that equation. We're spending half the amount on aged care compared to other developed nations similar to Australia. And people are telling us it's not good enough. So the money has to come from somewhere and we either charge more tax 
and everybody has to pay for it. Or we talk about what people can contribute themselves. So it is really challenging. And I know I sound harsh, but we've oh, got part a real of, burning platform. Yeah. And, and part of the reason for that is because so much of that wealth is held in, in property. And so people, um, you know, when they do the means test, it's um, often not counted if they've got a home. And, yeah. you know, that I think to bring us back to this conversation about inheritance you know, is a factor in it that you're holding on to that home, which for some people is, you know, a million dollars plus, uh, then it goes to the next generation and that aged care is not being paid for by that home. Um, it's generally by the government, you know, by diverting the pension in, in some cases. Well, and, and the home is li- limited at 186000 or so. So you can have a ho- home that's, if you're very lucky, you will have been able to buy one for that little, but there, I don't think there are many homes that are at that value. Most homes are much more. You could have a $10 million home, and in your assets test, it will be calculated at $186,000. I think most people don't know how unequal the system is at the moment. So we're not talking about changing it to make it less equal. We're actually trying to make it more equal um, and recognize that some people don't have any assets or they have other calls on those assets like the lady who called earlier Um, and there are many people who do and are not being asked to pay more when they could afford it. The fact is is that it's an emotional it's a tricky conversation most of us don't talk about it until those last moments when you have to. There's a text here from Cara. It says, our parents worked hard and brought us up. I hope before you receive an an inheritance that you make the last stages of your parents' life beautiful. Just generally in the line of work that you do, Tom, are you seeing a shift in the conversation around inheritance, the entitlement to inheritance, and the fact that I've lost track of the texts that are coming in of people that have already mentally spent their parents' inheritance before they've passed away? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a conversation we are able to have now that we weren't able to have even two or three years ago. That tells me people are willing to at least have the conversation. Um, you know, the average person who receives an inheritance, of course, these are all averages, but the average person is 54. So it's not a, necessarily a first home buyer or someone who is, uh, you know, uh, 25 years old and struggling to get on the property ladder, although we know people in their 50s, uh, often particularly women, can be the, the biggest risk of homelessness. So again, not to overgeneralize, but we're seeing a lot of people who are saying, do you know what, I actually thought my parents should have been treated better by the aged care system, by our caring sector. And if more money had gone into that sector and I'd received less inheritance, I think I might be happier. Because as one of your texters said, I'd have done anything to give better care to my parents before they passed away. So I think it is something people are more willing to talk about, but that doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable. None of us really like talking about about it at all. I don't like to be too cynical, Tom Simonson, but... You know, sometimes I think when the government's thinking about where this money's got to go, they might be thinking that it it makes more sense to be going to younger generations where that money can go back into the economy more easily and move around to potentially generate more wealth and more opportunities than in, in aged care, which is so important. You know, looking after our wonderful parents and grandparents is so important, but it doesn't generate the money for the economy in the same way. Well, it, it doesn't, it, if, unless you think about how many people are working in the care sector. It's the biggest uh, employment sector now with the biggest growth uh, across, across the country in the numbers of people who are going to need to work in that sector to keep us and our elders safe uh, and well looked after. So it, it makes an enormous economic contribution, actually. And most towns, particularly small rural towns, the biggest employers will be the hospital and the aged care sector. Mm. So uh, it does have an economic contribution. So I don't think that's that's true. But we've also got the opposite problem. It costs us so much currently that the taxpayer can't keep up with the expense. So we either have to, this is the other very honest and, and uncomfortable conversation we've got to have. If people say we don't want to pay more, we don't want to levy, we don't want to um, you know, see our inheritances dwindle, Um, then we've got to say, well, we can't provide the level of care people want. And I don't think anybody wants to hear that either. So there's no easy answer. Well, you certainly have sparked a huge conversation today, Tom. So we thank you for that. Thanks so much for your time. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Tom Simonson, he's the CEO of Aged and Community Care Providers Association. Our number's one three hundred triple two seven seven four.
We'll try and get through all of your calls in just a moment. Plenty of texts, Kirsten, on this as well. I don't know whether we'll get through them all, but let's try and read a few. My husband and I are in our early 80s. We're not eligible for the aged pension. We are conscious of the costs of aged care if we need it, and we're not sure how long our money has to last. Our children tell us to enjoy our lives. We do not receive an aged pension. I think it's wrong for people to deliberately save their super for their children. That's not the purpose of it, says Joan. And others that say um, I know of children in their 50s who are planning on what their parents' house is worth and an investment property that they can buy from an inheritance. They don't know that most of the inheritance is going to the grandchildren. Children are not in need. This is, and the other conversation around inheritance is that, I guess, coming from that sense of entitlement is that it often leads to family breakdowns, Kirsten, doesn't it, where people don't talk and as we'll find out in just a moment, there is growing evidence that it can lead to forms of elder abuse as well. Our number is 1300 774. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipro is joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're talking about inheritance, that uncomfortable conversation around whether or not Many of us and a growing number of people feel they are relying on it or have a right to inheritance. Elizabeth sends this message. Hi, ladies. My husband and I have no children. So in my mind, I don't care if I go to God, leaving nothing but having a bloody good time getting there. But my husband is old school and believes that you need to keep your money safe and growing until you die. I find this so frustrating. We are very financially stable and be able to afford great aged care, even if we get to that. Look out, charities because here we come if we're not divorced before then. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great... That's a great point because it is really can be daunting to think you're living off a finite amount of money, whether that's in your house or your super. You don't know how long you're going to live for. Hopefully it's a long time. I I, I can understand that sentiment of, of the husband. Like, I think I'd be a bit like that. Uh, and Ina says, super should not be passed on unless you die under 75. It is intended for your retirement. Uh, let's go to Jack in Tuberac. Hi, Jack. Morning. What did you want to say? Look, I, I don't think this is an uncomfortable conversation. I personally think it's an unnecessary um, conversation. If if I want to leave my whatever I've got left wealth to children, that's up to me, and it's not something that the government or or um, your program should be getting involved in, or Tom. Um, it's it's up to the individual to do what they want to do with their money, and if they want to leave it to their children, we'll let them leave it to their children. What, well, what, the, what's the, the government could tax such? it. The, the the government could tax it more, and and you know that's something we might talk about uh, a bit later in the program. You but know, they, you, you don't get taxed are, on inheritance. But they, already, but they already are taxing. You've, I pay. I've paid tax throughout my entire life of working, and and if I go into aged care, I'm going to have to pay. $500,000 bond. So I'm already getting taxed to the bilio. So how much more tax do, do everybody mm-hmm. else want? If people don't work hard and don't stash away money for their retirement, then the government's already subsidising them. If, if, if somebody hasn't got any money, they go into aged care for free. If somebody works hard and accumulates some money, when they go into aged care, no pension, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar bond. I mean, it's, this we're already getting taxed to bilio anyway. So this, you know, um, socialist sort of notion that all of a sudden we shouldn't be leaving anything to anybody yeah. and and you can't get an inheritance. It's a, it's a nonsense. Good on you, Jack. Good to hear from you as well. Elizabeth has called from Preston. Morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Yes, look, I'm really tired. I'm glad that you've brought this issue up because I'm re- I've, over the last few months, it's really heated up. Um, the baby, at the moment, it's really aimed at the baby boomer group, really. Um, and we're hit upon for being able to uh, give money to the young'uns for their housing because housing's difficult. Um, but now we've got to be paying extra tax or extra for our aged care. And then if you looked at the program last night, and, and when overall the care is, is is pretty mediocre at the best. Um, and then last night on the, um, the ABC, there was the issue of 
state trustees and, and how they rip off the money of people that are in situations like, you know, with, with people who have no money, uh, no um, mm. relatives, sorry, um, and they're ripping the money out of the pockets of the elderly. And I just think at the moment we're just being seen as cash cows yeah. and that we can be all things to all people. And, and Elizabeth, you raise a good point, and this is what you touched on before, Kirsten, in that everyone likes to blame the boomers. You know, somehow let's just blame the, the boomer generation here. But as you said, that's all going to get passed down. And it's going to go slowly and then it's going to happen very quickly. And then what happens? Do you just hate on the next generation? But but we're saying to the boomers, use it on yourself, I think. You know, like my, my mum is a, a baby boomer and I want her to have the best care to make sure that she's using anything she has for her first. And but I then think- she has the right at the same time to choose not to, right? And to say, I want to give everything to you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be happy with that if, there, if that was, you know. You know, I think a part of this is a lot of, you know, not to hate on the boomers, but I think a lot of boomers don't want to think about getting old and being in a nursing home. I think no one wants to think about themselves in that situation. So you, we don't want to have this conversation, but you might need that money. See, that's interesting, that line of you might need that money. And I think that there is younger generations that, through no fault of their own, are being told to rely on, we hear the term, the bank of mum and dad, right? It's a phrase now that gets used. It got started, it was started with Malcolm Turnbull and it is stuck and it's something that is stuck now to the point where it's actually seen as a solution for many. And I just wonder what kind of impact that is having and what sort of decisions people are making. We also heard in the news during the week that elder abuse is on the rise with cost of living being at the centre of that and some of the decisions that are being made by people at the expense of their parents. Avatavul Kamil is the manager and principal lawyer of Senior Rights Victoria. Avatavul, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. This is a really tricky and emotional and heated and nuanced and individual conversation. At the end of the day, it's about ensuring that our older people, of which we will all hopefully be one one day because, you know, the other option is not to be here at all. How do we make sure that older people are protected throughout this? Um, thanks for having me, Rochelle. Yeah, there are, there are a few ways that older people can protect themselves. Um, obviously, the most effective way is going to be planning ahead. So that's going to be the best way to protect your rights and wishes for the future. Um, and there are a few ways that you can do this. Um, so formalising your wishes is, is one thing. So getting powers of attorney drafted, doing some advanced care planning and really knowing what your rights are when you are getting that pressure, especially from adult children. So those are some things that, that can be done to, to mitigate. What this, do you mean by pressure? So... When we're talking about this idea of the bank of mum and dad that you mentioned, adult children relying on their older parents or their ageing parents that they're going to put aside finances or that they're going to make finances available to them when they need them, especially in this um, high pressure, rising cost of living, interest rates increases, etc., that are putting financial pressures on adult children. Um, just easing that that reliance so that older people can protect their assets a little bit more. So that's the kind of pressure that I'm talking about, pressure that's coming from loved ones, really. Do you have any tips on how to deal with this? Because I think it gets wrapped up in emotion, somehow inheritance or asks for, for, for gifts of money. It also can't, gets wrapped up in how much you love me, how much you love me compared to my siblings. How do you manage that if you're the person that's really getting that pressure? Mm, so really the kind of things that you're talking about are really parts of coercive control and we would classify that as an aspect of elder abuse. So what we see as Seniors Rights Victoria is things like coercive control go hand in hand with financial abuse, this, this guilt for example, and also older people, sorry, older people really feeling responsible for looking after their children. So they're torn between this wanting to protect their own rights and their own assets and also feeling this sense of responsibility to their adult children. So I think that 
the main thing for all the people to know in these situations is that it is okay to say no, um, especially if someone is asking you to find someone, even uh, someone is asking you to find something, even if that person is an adult child or someone who you have a loving and trusted relationship with, you can tell them you need some time to think about it. Explain to them that you have some concerns about the um, the impact that it's going to have on your own life. Mm. Tell them and you want to seek advice. To... Right, that's right. Yeah. Tell I them think... you want to talk to a third party, a lawyer, a financial planner, something, and just acknowledge that it's not to do with not trusting them. It's just to do with making sure that you are looked after as well. What about the idea, and lots of texts are coming in saying, I'm actually giving our inheritance to my children now rather than when I die because they need it now. Are you seeing a similar sort of pressure or coercive control in money being withdrawn or being requested from adult children now under the, you know, the banner of, well, it's just my early inheritance? Well, it's not usually framed as an early inheritance, but there is kind of uh, this pervasive notion that, oh, I'm going to get it anyway. So, or what are you going to use it for? I can spend it better than you can spend it. This idea that, and really it's rooted in ageism, that once you reach a certain age, your life is just over. And so you don't need to pay for anything and you should just give up everything that you have earned in your lifetime to support your adult children who uh, say that they can spend it better or that they will use it more wisely or that they'll use it in your best interest. Um, so that's, that's, definitely, uh, that's definitely something that we do come across. But again, that is rooted in ageism and it is yeah. an element of elder abuse that we do see. Avital Camel, thank you so much. Uh, some really good points there. Manager and Principal Lawyer of Seniors Rights Victoria. Text line is going off. <laughs> Can't keep up with it all. Um, my parents' parents gave them inheritance. Why shouldn't I get the same opportunity from my parents? And Kate says, stop infantilising older people. Let their wishes be upheld. And I, I'm thinking that's about, you know, when, when you're saying, no, you spend it on yourself. I think, and I was really, I mean, it's so important to hear what Avatar was saying about if you feel uncomfortable, even if it's an adult child or loved one that you know and trust, if you feel like you want to get advice, you should, and that you should seek help, you know, whether it be through Seniors Australia or, or go to your financial counsellor or call your bank or speak to somebody else in the family as well, just ensuring that you get that advice and that you don't feel pressured. Francis is called from Casterton. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I just wondering, why does the younger generation always want the money from the older generation? Can't they earn it themselves? <laughs> oh, I think it's a fair point. Uh, but I, I guess the cost of living is um, the... That's the argument, isn't it? Well, when we got married, we had to pay 269 guineas for a refrigerator. Now you can buy them for about 400 bucks. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think there's just a sense of entitlement, Francis, that, you know, that mum and dad will just give me the money or mum and mum or dad and dad, however your family is made up, that that money will just be handed down to you and that's my entitlement? Do you think that that's an expectation now? Well, not on my family, but what we say, that's your prerogative, isn't it? Would you? Did you expect an inheritance um, when you were younger? My father and mother died when I was nine, so I had to work for everything I got. And my wife and I, we worked. We never had a holiday for forty-five years. We put all our money away into super to try to get a bed for ourselves when we got older. But you see, the younger generation. You ask the younger generation when did they have last have a holiday, and you say, "Oh, next year we have one every year." Even if they have it on credit card. They still have a holiday. Good to hear Francis, from you, Francis. Uh, he earned it fair and squared. Like, I think that's a very, very good point. <laughs> Lynn's in Ringwood. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Um, mine's sort of to do with inheritance, but a little bit like the previous gentleman. If, if I've worked hard and saved for my retirement and care in, in my older years, and somebody else has, ha, you know, splurged all their money and not saved, why should they get the benefit of cheaper 
aged care than a person who's worked hard and been responsible and saved for their old age. And also, nobody's mentioned what sort of profit the people who own nursing homes, and some people own multiple nursing homes, Mm. what sort of profit are they making? And is that contributing to the higher costs of aged care? Thanks, Lynn. I think that's an interesting point about the profits of nursing homes. And there's been plenty of reporting over the years about uh, nursing homes. And, you know, sometimes you have to be really careful about the contracts because they can take more than you might necessarily think. And there are these unexpected charges that some of them have. Uh, You know, that is another conversation. But thanks for raising that, Lynn. Greg's in Windsor. Good morning. Uh, Did you say Greg because you cut out? Is that me? You're on air, Greg. Morning. Yeah, yeah. thank you. You cut out as you said the name, so I didn't know it was me. Sorry. That's all right. What did you want um, to say? But, okay, a couple of things. I think whatever changes should be made, there should be a grandfather clause because we've all made arrangements for the way our life will, what will happen with us and our, our kids and our assets when we die. And if you're going to bring in changes to that, then that should, that should be for the future and not affect people who've already made those changes. Second point is this. I can't spend my super, not that I've got a lot, because like most women, my wife doesn't have much. So if I die, she needs my super mm. to help pay off whatever's left of the mortgage. Second thing, we pay life insurance for these years. You get to age 70 and they suddenly chop off your life insurance and it becomes too expensive. So if we were relying on you know, a nice life insurance payout for our spouse and then our families, well, then... That's gone by the board. And the last thing is, if my small family business makes a profit, because I'm 75, I can't invest that in super. Because when you get to 75, you're not allowed to put money into super. So, you know, all these, you know, changes, you you just can't be like Simon and just generalise that it's going to be the same for everybody. But there are lots of things that need to be considered. Absolutely. And But above all, don't make a change that affects people who, who have already made arrangements based on their current situation. And I think, Greg, the main point that you raised there is that it's so individual depending on your circumstances. This text, how many entitled people have you got calling up? We all work hard. Some people have had other issues in their life, whether it be mental health or life experience, domestic violence, physical health, their income and their ability to save money has been affected by this. And then to complain about having to care or pay for aged care services. How are the services going to be sustained when there's already a lack of staff and investment in that area? I think the statistic is 90% of the world is left behind, says a lot. Not everyone gets an inheritance. Not everyone has that cushion. And this text, Kirsten, that says, Rochelle and Kirsten, great topic. I'm one of multiple children. We're of the opinion that our parents have worked hard for their money. It's for them to use on themselves, not and we are not entitled to a cent. Wouldn't it be nice? Obviously but we aren't entitled to their money. What parents doing now is squirrelling away at the expense of their own comfort so that they can hand something onto us despite all the time us telling them time and time again that they should go and enjoy their retirement. Let's talk about superannuation now. Marley Vero is a lawyer with Nest Legal. Hi, Marley. Morning. We've heard super a lot, you know, it wasn't uh, an issue generations ago because superannuation didn't exist. And we have a situation where there are some sort of people who are in retirement with not a lot of super because they didn't really have that time to earn it. But then there's some people with a lot of superannuation, particularly over the next 10, 20 years, who will be passing that wealth on. What is happening to that superannuation at the moment? Yeah, I mean, some people use their super as an estate planning tool. I see it a lot in blended family situations where people plan what they're going to do with their super, um, leaving it to a child from a previous relationship or a new spouse, making sure everything's covered. But also on the other side, when I'm dealing with estate administration matters, I'm seeing so many clients, executives come to me saying, I found three super statements and there's three active super funds at any given time that they have to claim through. Um, So it's coming up everywhere. Uh, conversations are more transparent at the moment. I know for our mornings program in Melbourne, Virginia, Trioli has been talking a lot over the last few weeks about access to superannuation when a spouse dies and how difficult it is to even find that, let alone have that payment uh, made to you. 
is there a, a greater understanding of who's entitled to it and how people can access it, do you think? Look, I, I think in some cases people are still, I think, struggling to understand that super doesn't form part of your estate automatically um, because at the end of the day there's the trustee of your super fund that makes the decision and you can guide them by doing a, a binding nomination but we also see a lot of matters where there is no nomination and then it's sort of a, a bit of a free-for-all and the trustee of the super fund needs to make the decision and that can be a really long arduous process and it's setting clients expectations at the beginning that this is potentially months potentially years in some cases I think, judging from the text messages, a lot of people's fear is that that superannuation will end up just somehow going to the government. Does Can that happen if you haven't specifically stated who you want that super to, to go to and perhaps you don't have a partner? Is is that where it goes? Not necessarily. So what would, what would happen is the super fund would do a fact-finding exercise to see who the most senior next of kin is. If there's no partner, no children... Then you're looking at parents and siblings and so on. Worst case scenario, what the super fund will do is pay your super to your estate and it will go as per your will if you've got one. If you don't have one, then the, the laws of intestacy, which sets out um, what happens when someone dies without a will. I guess that's what it probably comes down to, doesn't it? Ensuring that you have a will. Yeah, absolutely. A, an estate plan and is so important. And, and I say to my clients, the moving document, it's not a set and forget. So even if you have left your super to say a child from a previous relationship or something like that, that might be all well and good for the next five years, but it may not be necessary for, you know, 20 years on. And I'm of the view that it's not your money until it's in your bank account. And I often joke with my clients, you know, if you've, if you've even got this left at the time um, of your passing, you know, so I encourage my clients to spend it. <laughs> what do you see when you deal with these death claims or these, um, you know, when there hasn't been a will? Do you find that there are next of kin who are shocked or uh, were expecting something and then shocked to find out that there was just nothing even written? Um, I, I find that the, the shock usually comes the opposite way. I think that people, in my experience anyway, people are sometimes coming thinking they're not going to get anything especially with super funds where they might be an insurance component they might say oh yeah mum had this much super but then be surprised because they receive a, a couple hundred grand in a in an insurance component as well so that's often more shocking i think marley thanks so much for your insights we appreciate it Marley Viero, who's a lawyer with Nest Legal. This text from April in Torquay, and this really resonates with me. It says, our house is the only chance to change the fortunes of our family history. My hubby and I have zero inheritance from our poor parents, and we want to give our kids a better chance than we had by leaving them a house that we fought so hard to get. So that's from April in Torquay. Let's have a chat to Brian, who's in Ballarat. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Michelle. Uh, one quick thing, and it surprises me, that the number of people, particularly my generation, I've just turned 81, have not spoken to their children about what in the hell's going on. Uh, I was, many years ago, um, dismissed from psych services by that particular government that uh, used to give Scotch College a bad name. We won't go to that. And I had to supplement because I could not get a job apart from two weeks here and a week there, mm. I used my superannuation to supplement the doll. And, of course, it's got to the stage where that uh, ran out. And I've just said to my children, uh, the same as my father did, a lifetime interest to your mother, then the four of you can work it out from there. And the whole lot just turned around and said, hey, you've only got a minimum five figure sum for your funeral expenses use it yeah get on with it and uh, i think that that's incredible brian that you've already spoken to your children because i think you're right in that so many people just don't this is a text from peter in mentone it says i'm torn between feelings of wanting to leave my offspring enough to help them through the looming climate crisis as opposed to my belief that we should all somehow contribute to the common good i think that a reasonable inheritance tax is urgently needed let's have a chat to alison who's in coburg good morning alison Oh, yeah. Hi. I just wanted to counter this conversation that people are having that if somebody had subsidised aged care, that somehow there was some sort of bludger 
or didn't work hard. Um, my parents have both passed and my father was um, abandoned to an orphanage at a young age. He grew up with no family. He spent most of his life in the Navy and the Air Force. When he met my mother, they were moved every two years all over the country and internationally. He went to Vietnam. They contributed. Yeah. But no, there's no house. Yeah. There was no superannuation. All the five of us got when they passed was a small box of tokens. But he contributed. Why shouldn't he have been able to have access to subsidised aged care? He gave his entire life to contributing. I know, Alison, there's a text here that says working hard doesn't mean earning a lot. Cleaners work hard but earn peanuts. Some high-paying jobs have lazy workers. You should have a lot. um, So, yes, if you have a lot more money, then you should be able to contribute to aged care, says Steph. And there's another text here that says, My mother worked hard all her life to keep us out of poverty sometimes. Three jobs on the go. She could never afford to buy or save money. I take umbrage with privileged people thinking she splurged on life instead of saving. Privilege is the greatest blinder. It's um, a good point. Um, thank you for that, Alison. That, yeah, not, not everyone has the ability to get that nest egg. And, you know, one thing we don't talk about, and, and a lot of the research is, is showing it, though, is it's not necessarily that, that lump of money that comes often now at the end of your life or later in your life, it's um, if you have wealthier parents, you often have access to better education, more opportunities, and it's those things that put you in good stead. It's knowing how what to do with your money. You know, a lot of people just never had that education to actually understand how money works. And so they get to retirement and, and really don't have a lot, and it's not because they didn't work hard. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt with you Melbourne, Kirsten Dipros, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Warnable. And we're having that uncomfortable conversation around inheritance and whether or not there is an expectation of inheritance, and not just from the kids, Kirsten, but an expectation that's actually being peddled to us now from people within positions of power, that there is you know, a bank of mum and dad or whatever it may be. There's a text here that says, Rish and Kirsten, I hate that cliche of spending the children's inheritance. Selfish, entitled, baby boomer nonsense. I didn't inherit any money from my parents and I just got on with working, making my own income and I'll be doing it until I drop. I don't mind and definitely want to ensure that my daughter and grandchildren inherit as much as I can muster because I worry the future is going to be hard and I want to make it as easy as possible for them. I think there are a lot of people of older generations that are thinking like that and younger generations who are starting to put money away now for their children's future. You know, farming, uh, as you know, I live on a farm and the topic of succession and inheritance is a big one. It's hard to talk about sometimes. It changes all the time. uh, And the concept of what's equitable and what's equal can be very different. You know, if a child has worked on the farm for 30 years, and then, you know, their parents eventually both die, it's different to, you know, they might inherit more of the farm than their siblings. Helen Quaid is with us. She's a property and succession lawyer and lives on a farm as well, uh, based in rural New South Wales. Welcome to the program, Helen. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for having me. Hi, Michelle. Hi. So when it comes to farming in particular, what are some of the the big issues that you can see when it comes to inheritance? Uh, Firstly, is it expected from children that they will get the farm? Well, so my my comments are all New South Wales law related because that's where I practice. But I understand, you know, there are similar provisions and I encourage your listeners to seek out the legislation and the the actual... um, the laws about who are eligible persons entitled to expect an, an inheritance um, relevant to the laws of Victoria. In New South Wales, the Succession Act is the primary piece of legislation that includes a list of eligible persons who the government has decided are um, worthy of expecting a benefit from someone's estate. Now, they include um, the spouse of the person who's died um, or de facto spouse, the and potentially even a former spouse, a child of the deceased, and a person who, including grandchildren, who was partly dependent or dependent on the deceased person or living in the household with the deceased person. Now, so that 
does indicate, obviously, that children have a general expectation of inheritance. Mm. And you're absolutely right when you say about farming um, succession and inheritance of farming land. Obviously, farming children, um, people who are involved in the farming business, will have their own expectations and they might be quite different from the expectations of off-farm children. So whether a parents in that situation are brave enough and to have the conversations with their children yes. about what they propose to try and alleviate the possibility of there being dispute after they've died um, is, is really the important question, I think, because... Having those conversations um, can help to avoid an awful lot of heartbreak. And given when we talk about farms in particular and a working farm, these are large, big-scale, hard operations that people are running. So you need to at least have the conversation around, do you want to take on the family farm? Is this something that you are prepared to do? Because what would happen, for example, Helen, if the farm was handed down to Kirsten, but then Kirsten says, I hate farming, I don't want to do this, and then sells it, for example? What happens then? Absolutely. What a cracking example. Isn't that so true? That's not happening, by the way, can I just say. Kirsten's a great farmer. We tend to see see inheritance as a positive thing, don't we? I mean, that's the general um, lens through which we look at it. Getting something is better than not getting something. And I love, you know, the idea that in a farming context, perhaps that's not always the case. There is definitely a sense that inheriting a working farm is potentially a life sentence of hard work. So that is an incredibly important consideration when you're thinking about you know, distributing farming property between members of your family. Um, what's, what's the sort of worst case scenario that, that you've seen when it comes to, say, inheritance and, and succession? Uh, you know, is it not having these conversations? Yes, 100. Always, always not communicating properly and or adequately um, it causes problems, whether that's between the members of the family after the parents have both passed away or, you know, the person in control of the land has passed away or during the lifetime. It's an incredibly difficult conversation to have, though. Mm. I don't just want to imply that, you know, rushing on into these conversations is always best either. There is a degree of, you know, sensitivity and management that needs to be applied to these conversations in order not to generate expectations which just will never be able to be met. So in my experience, and Kirsten, I know we've had this discussion before, having these conversations led strongly by the person who's currently in control of the assets is a really important part of them going well. I mean, obviously, if the person in control of the assets in ownership of the land is not willing to engage Mm. in those conversations, it's incredibly difficult for the children to sort of you know, insist they must. Yeah. There's no there's no good pathway forward from there. But yeah, just not not talking about it, not enabling off farm children especially to indicate to parents their feeling of like being loved less or yeah. you know, not being considered. Hence the emotion much. that comes into yeah, it. Absolutely. Like I will I always say to my clients, your children will look to heal their broken heart with a lawsuit. So if you don't give them the opportunity during your lifetime to let them know, to let you know that they feel sad about the way that you're proposing to do it and see if there are perhaps very reasonable, workable solutions, then you are setting them up to fail and to, to fall out with their siblings. Helen, um, and if that's important, yeah, have absolutely. the yarn. Helen, thank you so much for your time and your insights. You're welcome. Helen Quaid is a property and succession lawyer. Let's just quickly end by speaking to Zach Gross, who's a lecturer in the Department of Economics at Monash University. And Zach, you have analysed and looked at the future, I guess the forecast of how much inheritance we are likely to see in Victoria and in Australia. Is there a reliance on inheritance, do you believe? Well, look, inheritance is a key way that wealth inequality um, perpetrates itself across the decades and generations. Uh, When you inherit a house from your parents, that's obviously great for you, but it means that the level of wealth inequality uh, is going to remain at a a particularly high level. 
so other countries try and get around this problem with things like uh, inheritance taxes, but uh, Australia is somewhat uniquely amongst uh, comparable countries, uh, has no inheritance tax whatsoever. That's been mentioned, inheritance tax. Is is that something that should be put on the table for discussion? I think some people would think it's great, but others would say, how dare you tax that money that's in my family, that my family has worked so hard to earn? Look, I, I think it depends on how you design it. Obviously, you don't want to be taking, uh, you know, everything off the table for after an, uh, someone is uh, inherited. Uh, and you'd want to, you know, if you did implement it, only target it at the sort of top end of the distribution. But I think it's something worth discussing. I think the politics around it are pretty complicated and, you know, I think you'll get a lot of uh, pushback from from people who have that expectation of inheriting housing. Uh, But for those Australians who, you know, don't have much of an inheritance uh, or people who have, you know, recently moved here and obviously they don't have family uh, who have previously bought into the housing market back when it was cheap in the the 80s and 90s, uh, you'll be doing them a, a bit of a disservice if we don't have at least a conversation about it. I think sometimes we've started a bit of a war of the generations um, in this um, chat, but what generation is actually going to benefit the most from, you know, these high property prices, the extra super? Who's inheriting this wealth? Look, there's no doubt that the baby boomers who, you know, managed to buy when housing was much more affordable have benefited from the uplift in property prices since then. Having said that, a lot of the inequality we see is within generations. So, you know, some baby boomers did manage to buy, but if you didn't or if you weren't lucky enough to buy as a 50 or 60-year-old, then you're going to be uh, much worse off compared to your peers. And by the same token, obviously, all millennials today have to, you know, look at a pretty expensive housing market. But if you've got access to the bank of mum and dad, that's going to make it a lot easier. Oh, so there goes that term again. Oh, that's something to, that gets my really, um, yeah, gets my blood boiling a little bit. Zach, good on you. Good to get your insights. Thank you. Zach Gross is a lecturer in the Department of Economics at Monash University. Kirsten Dipros, apologies if we didn't get to read anyone's texts out today because we had just so many that were coming through. I just want to end with this one here. It says, I want to leave my son as much as possible. When I was young, housing was affordable. We had a stable climate. Now, housing is so unaffordable and without inheritance, I don't see how my children will ever own their own homes. Plus, with our generations, we've got addiction to oil and consumerism. It's polluted the planet for our next generation. We're leaving them with a mess. We're leaving them some inheritance is the least we can do to try and make up for some of our sins. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.